Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Queen's Community HealthCast. I am your host today, Deborah Radall, and in the background way doing all the smart stuff is Elizabeth Bailey. Will she say hi? Hi, Elizabeth. Hey, Deb. How are you today? I am pretty excited. Um, I'm pretty excited to introduce our guest today. Ooh, I'm excited about our guest too. Let's get to it. Yeah, let's get to it. Let's talk about the topic first and then I'll introduce my guest. We are uh, going to be talking about a pretty Im- important topic, the whole idea of food security in our communities. And we're going to talk about how that connects to concerns and issues with eating and food. And I have a wonderful guest who can speak to a whole lot of sides of this topic. And her name is Allie Purdue. And she's a mom and a nurse and an educator and a fitness enthusiast and a soon-to-be personal trainer. I'm going to let her elaborate and brag a little bit. So why don't you do that, Allie? Brag a little bit. Tell us about yourself. All right. Um, so I threw fitness enthusiast and uh, soon-to-be personal trainer in there because for me, in my journey with disordered eating, because I say disordered eating, and just to speak to that for a little bit, for the reason that not all eating disorders necessarily have a title, we do have the more commonly known forms of eating disorders and those types of things. But many people just suffer from like an unidentified disordered eating type. And it can fluctuate and look different throughout disease process or illness processes. I throw those in there because those have been essential in the consolidating of my healing in that process. It looks different for everybody that goes through that process of healing. But for me, those have been very grounding. I appreciate that. Part of what I'd like to share is my vulnerability. And being vulnerable has, in a lot of ways, opened up so many pathways for myself in my healing. And actually, I have found I've been inspired by people's vulnerability. And so then I choose to use that to hopefully inspire others to get the help that they need and to take steps that they need to love themselves and heal where they need to heal in order to become happy and healthy or happier and healthier in other aspects of life. To be suffering in one aspect of life doesn't mean that you can't be happy in others. I would say like I teach, you know, like in my teaching and education, like I teach about these topics, but also having those lived experiences and going through that process of working on healing traumas. In many cases, uh, disordered eating is like a trauma response that occurs uh, because either of learned behaviors on how to cope with trauma or immature coping responses. So depending on age, immaturity level and development. So a lot of disordered eating is born from trauma experiences. Enduring that and going through those processes and working on healing and it's constant. Like, yes, yes, I'm in a great place right now, but the work is never done. You have to keep working on loving yourself and improving. But through that, I feel like I have acquired a compassion for anybody who's experienced trauma and is working through that, no matter what that looks like. And like, as a nurse, we deal with countless people who have experienced trauma, working with students, everybody comes from a different background. And to help guide somebody through becoming a nurse, also, you have to be aware of your own biases and the things you've experienced so that you can more confidently care for yourself as you further into the healthcare system and so that you can confidently care for others. So you carry all of this with you, all of your experiences you carry with you and no matter what role you're engaging in. And when you're engaging with other humans, we have to be 
human. We have to have humility. We have to have compassion for one another. And so being aware of my own lens and how my experiences impact my approach with other individuals is very important. And that's part of my lens. And so I can use that as a strength in some ways. And then in some ways I have to be aware of it and how it might be impacting maybe an emotional response so that I can keep it in check so that I can best give the care, education, whatever, to whomever I may be working with at that time. There are a lot of things in our culture that can encourage disordered eating. I have noticed just a sort of a cultural shift in the last year or so against that or to oppose that. So what do you see happening now in our culture around those kind of pressures? And how can we support furthering that change in our society? I love this question. What I think a lot of that comes back to is that the good stuff is out there and you can find it. And a lot of the algorithms that are built behind the social media platforms will give you what you want. You have control over your social media in the sense that if you are only liking things or following things, you are going to see that populate in your feeds, the things Mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily control or seek out. So those algorithms are tracking the types of things that you're looking at. They're tracking the types of shopping that you're doing, and they're meeting your interests based on what you're searching for. So if you are searching for holistic healing and healthy eating and those types of things, those are the things that will populate. That's the social media side of things. But in other media like news and, you know, magazines, and there is a huge shift towards body positivity and holistic health. If we think about this from a community standpoint, what are the impacts in our community over long term, do you think, if we're not supporting a change to that? And so that comes back to the power of media. It can be powerful to sway things in a a healthy, positive, self-motivating kind of way. Those algorithms are reading that you are looking for things that may be more self-deprecating than others, then that's what you're going to see. But there is power within the media to create a more positive influence and prevent that negative impact. What feels good will prevail. And what feels good is to be represented in media and to be seen and see people be real and honest, that's what feels good. The more accessible the positive imaging, the more accessible the positive messaging, the more likely people are going to see it, access it, and then make that the thing that they hold on to, yeah. as opposed to the things that make them feel worse inside, you know? Yeah. The way that you see healthy eating projected in media is not always inclusive of those who are dealing with a different income or uh, financial ability. So that's part of it too, educating on ways to affordably eat healthy and it can be done. And it's striving away from it must be the best and the most healthy and like, what are the healthiest choices we can make within our means? What resources are available for people to be able to know what that looks like? I mean, I think there are probably needs to be more resources created for that. And there's probably a need, a need for sure. I know there's a lot of work that has been done on the Canada Food Guide to be more inclusive that way. When we come, we talk about healthy eating, that can have an impact on our mental health, which kind of brings us full circle back to this sort of the topic of disordered eating or trauma. Like, tell us your thoughts on that, eating well and mental health. Often like 
we will use, culturally speaking, we use food to celebrate, to comfort. Food is love, right? You know, if somebody's feeling sad, I'm going to bring them a cake or muffins or something like that. If we're feeling sad or if something is unsettled in our minds, we often turn to food in some way to comfort ourselves. So that's one way in which mental health and food can relate. You might use food as punishment in a sense of restricting yourself because you've been bad or you've perceived that you've been bad or there's negative messaging that are, is in your head. So you may restrict. And that's where you see those restrictive practices around right. disordered eating. It's not surprising that we use it as a way for managing our emotions or attempting to manage our emotions. So uh, food is not a moral thing. It's nutrition. Food is not bad. Food is not good. We assign negative and positive aspects to the food. And I think that's definitely a cultural thing. And we've learned it as we go through it. However, if we don't put the right food in our body, what does that do to our brain? Oh, it can do a number of things to your brain. Right now, I'm in the process of teaching anatomy and physiology. And part of the side conversation is how nutrition impacts our anatomy and physiology. And so our body goes through incredible amounts of processes that are all finely balanced on the nutrition that we give it. Mm -hmm. And so if something is out of balance, something will suffer as a response to that. So it could be digestive processes. It could be what feels like a brain fog. And now that being said, when you're experiencing mental illness, it's hard to know what's nutrition and what's your mental health and those types of things. It's like the chicken or the egg in some instances, right? Yeah. But nutrition is a form of healing. If you focus more on like the creation of food rather than the consumption of food. For people listening to us have this conversation today, Allie, and maybe who have struggled with disordered eating, what can you tell us about supports that are available to help? So a great place to start is looking at your own resources in the sense that not everybody necessarily has health coverage and many counseling and those types of resources require that. But also if you are employed, you have an employee support program that can help get you started with something, but there's also eating disorders ns.ca is a great resource. And it's a group of women who initially started it probably, I think it was like over 20 years ago or something. They had started a smaller group of women who had recovered or were recovering from eating disorders and they wanted to start a peer support thing. And it eventually grew. And now it's this larger thing where, you know, you can go on this website and there's nutrition and counseling supports there, which do have a cost. I would say that's probably the largest accessibility issue at this point in getting help for professional counseling and nutrition counseling and those mm -hmm. things. But also on the site, there are free things like peer support groups and there are information sessions and stuff that are free from the site. So you can easily go there and access that online. So if you have those resources that you have access to internet, computer, right. or that you can get to a place where you can access those things, it's a great resource. Now, I grew up in Queens County and I know not everybody has those resources. So there are barriers to accessing things like that. Where but would be a place to start in your opinion, Allie, if you could speak on this? Any healthcare provider should be able to connect you in a way that you need connected. Most healthcare providers either can connect you with somebody who is well-versed in how to safely approach and discuss 
disordered eating or help you find the answers and uh, clear up your questions as to what you're happening as well. Like, do I have disordered eating? Oh, do I not? Hmm. And many things like maybe I'm depressed and maybe I need help with that. It could be a whole slew of things, but reaching out to a healthcare provider of any sort in whatever way that you can, I would say is your best first step. There's 811 and actually 211 also. If you have access to a phone, if you dial 211, they can also connect you with local resources. We have reach out to your family doctor or someone you care about that can help you get there if you don't want to go alone. Certainly reach out to your family doctor. That's a fantastic place to start or 811. And interestingly that you mentioned 211, because I don't think a lot of people even really know that what 211 does, but they can definitely put you in contact with support groups. Yeah, it's their job to know what's available to you. So it's a, a great resource that way. And before we wrap up today, yes, what else would you like people to know about this topic generally? For anybody who is wondering where they're at and what they're feeling, where to reach out to, or you are never alone, no matter how lonely it may feel sometimes. The one thing I would encourage you to push yourself through that loneliness and connect with anybody, anybody at all, even if it can't be a healthcare professional at that time connect with a human. There is no shame in being ill this way, no shame in any mental illness whatsoever. And be compassionate with yourself in your journey for healing, because that'll be very important to your success. And, you know, one piece at a time, one day at a time, it will all come together. I want to say how, how honored and happy I am that you decided to talk to us today and, and share your gentle wisdom. Why don't we just end on that note that if you're feeling a struggle and you're having a hard time, just reach out to anybody at all. Anybody. Thank, Thank you, you Allie. for this opportunity, Deborah. It's been wonderful. It's entirely my pleasure. Take care. You too.